It's good to see you. Good to hear you. My name is Chad Myers. I'm our Adult Discipleship Director. Glad to see you in the room. Welcome to those of you joining us online, wherever you may be, the beach, mountains, a different part of the world. We trust that God has something to say to all of us and all of you. So glad you're here. You know, I've noticed uh, a few things about uh, churches uh, as we're kicking off this series uh, called Stage is the Soul of Every Season. Some things come to my mind uh, that are unique to certain churches. And one of them is that uh, I, I get a few comments about my height here in this church. And I told you this a few months ago. I was walking out in the hall, and a gentleman walked by, and he just kind of said, he said it after I passed him, though I'll just take note of that. Uh, after I passed him, he said, you're taller on TV. Right? right? And I've told you that. He said that. It was funny. Haha, <laughs> I used it for humor. You know, gives me material, whatever. And so uh, I, I don't know what it is, though, but I was in the traditional room just a few weeks ago preaching. And uh, this woman comes up to me, and I love her to death, so all good things. But she says to me right before the service starts, you do such a good job, but you're so little. <laughs> and I, I thought, since when did my ability to communicate have to do with my stature? I mean, come on. So maybe that lost itself somewhere in my subconscious. And I was thinking about stages, and I walked in this church in Missouri a few weeks ago, and they had some resources for parenting. So we got four kids, so I'm all about staying on the ups on what's going on with the Utes and uh, being a better parent. So I was looking at these free resources, and all the kids are like, what a weirdo. I was looking at these free resources, and it's like, hey, hey, how to parent your seventh grader, how to parent your you know, ninth grader, how to parent your 11th grader, and our oldest is going into 11th grade. She's at that stage. And so I picked up this little pamphlet and I was reading through it. And they give you some things like that you may just not know as an adult male, like about female teenagers uh, and, and what's going on in their world. And one of the things that it said was that many ladies at this point have reached their full adult height and our oldest is vertically challenged. So I thought, oh, this is really fun information. So I took that time to get on the phone and I called our oldest and I said, Hey, MJ. She goes, hey, Dad, what's up? I said, I just wanted you to know that science has told me to tell you that you are the tallest you will ever be in this life. I thought you should know that, Macy Jo. She said, she started laughing. Dad, what? thank you so much for telling me. Is that, is that the only reason you called? Absolutely it is. Stay short, my friend. And I hang up the phone. That's what stage she is. That's the stage we are as, as parents. That's what stage we're in in life. We're starting this new series called Stages, and the reality is this, there are three constants in life, and I'm only going to tell you two. That's going to frustrate some of you. You're like, well, what's the third one? I'll tell you later. The two constants I want to tell you about today is God, he's constant, and what's the other one? Change. He's like, I didn't say that. <laughs> he did say that. You win the prize. See me after the service. Change. As much as we not, don't want to admit it or accept it, there's something about the human condition that says, no, 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 no. I don't like change. I like familiar places. I like familiar faces. We like to drive down the road that looks familiar. We like to go to the same restaurant. Oh, I know this place. I know these people. It makes me feel secure. It makes me feel stable. But change happens. And change always happens. And there's something inside of us that says, no, 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 I don't want things to change. And the reality is this, 
that every stage of life that we're in, God is in that stage with us, and he wants us to live into that stage. Each stage requires new skills and different strategies. It requires new skills and different strategies. It's kind of like a video game. This video game, you go through a certain level, and in that level, you have to have a certain set of skills and a certain set of strategies, and then you, you beat the villain at the end of that level, and you go to a different level, but at that level, you may need new skills and new strategies, and life is always changing, and God is continually asking us to adapt and to shift and to reorient our life to what is going on in this current season, in this current stage. Maybe you've recently met someone. You know, you met someone. And your love is in the nurturing stage. It's tender. You're trying to protect it. You're trying to grow it. Maybe you're newlywed and you're in the nurturing of your relationship. You're giving to each other to grow your marriage. Maybe you have little babies. At nine o'clock, there was two fresh babies that came right up into the risers. They were super fresh. And I, I couldn't keep my eyes off. I love babies. And maybe you're in that stage and you're in that nurturing stage. Or maybe you're discovering or rediscovering Jesus. And you're praying maybe for the first time in a long time. Or you're reading your Bible and your relationship is in its nurturing stage. Or maybe you're a student about to graduate high school or college and you are dreaming about what's ahead of you. You have your, 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 your goals, your goal board out, and you're ready to go out into the world and conquer it. You're excited. You're filled with hope. You're in a dreaming stage. Maybe you're building. You're in that career stage, the business stage. You're building, and all your energies are going towards that. Or maybe, maybe you're in the latter half of life, and you're thinking about the legacy you're going to leave children, grandchildren, and the next generation. We all are in some type of stage, and God is with us in those stages. And Jesus wants us to keep in step with the stage that we're in. That's the question for us. Can we keep in step with the stage that we're in? Because if not, we may be using old battle strategies that really belonged to a different time and place. We may be using old frameworks and imposing them on our current stage, and it's really constricting. It's causing havoc. Jesus wants us to be able to keep in step with the stage that we're in. So my, my sermon is, is quite plain today. We're going to be in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 12, and I'm just going to ask two questions. I'm kicking off the series. I'm just going to give us kind of a broad stroke for the idea of stages. And it's kind of like my, my son ordered some sunglasses the other day. It was like all of it was one lens, but it had, you know, it covered both of his eyes. It's kind of like that. I'm going to ask two questions and they're simply this. How do we know what stage we're in and what do we do when we realize what stage we're in? Right? Very simple. But let's go to Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 12 to start. And I'm going to ask you this. If you're willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? It's a long passage, and I need you to stay awake. <laughs> Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 12. There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep, and a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to scatter stones, and a time to gather them, a time to embrace, and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search, 
and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Verse 9, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Pastor Jeff is preaching this week in traditional, and we are going in a little bit different directions with our sermons, but the beauty of Mount Horeb is that later on this week, you can tune in to Pastor Jeff and hear his sermon, which uh, is very, very strong and worth listening to, so I encourage you to do that. Ecclesiastes falls into uh, a section of the Bible known as wisdom literature. Psalms, Proverbs, Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes, wisdom literature. Most commonly, it's attributed to King Solomon, although his name is not written in it as the author. It's quite simply uh, Kohelet, which can be translated into the English as the preacher. The preacher says, the preacher says, the preacher says, the preacher says. And it's someone who is further along in their life, and they are reflecting back on their earlier days, and they're thinking about all the wisdom, sometimes hard fought, sometimes through failure, all the wisdom that they had learned, and they're passing on this wisdom. And this is quite a famous passage in wisdom literature in Ecclesiastes 3. Songs have been based on it. And basically, the, the author is telling us this. Guys, you live long enough. You look out and you reflect long enough. There are different seasons in life. There are different stages in life. There's a time to build and a time to tear down what is built. There's a time to dance. There's also a time to mourn. There's a time to be silent, and there is a time to speak. There are different seasons, and each one of them, because we live east of Eden, has some measure of pain and loss and brokenness in it, but also each one of them, because it's in God's good creation, has a measure of beauty in it. And God says, I want you to understand what stage or season you're in so that you can lean into it, because that's where I am, and I'm ready to meet you there. So first of all, how do we know what stage we are in? How do we know what stage we are in? Matthew 16, verse 9 says this. This is Jesus. He replied, when evening comes, you say, it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. Many of you like to, to check your weather. Check your weather first thing in the morning. You wake up, turn on your phone, or maybe your phone's already on, and you click on the app, and you look at the weather for the day. You look, is it going to be warm? You know, not cold, because it's not cold in Lexington, but is it going to be less warm? Uh, you know, what, what, what are we going to wear? Is it going to rain? That, that sort of thing. Or maybe you ask Alexa, Alexa, what's the weather today? And Alexa repeats to you in a nice, soothing voice what the weather going to be for today. And Jesus says, he's, he's rebuking the religious leaders because he says to them, guys, you, you can interpret the weather. You can look out and you can study the sky and you're good at interpreting the weather, but you don't even understand 
that the, the promises that were about me are coming fulfilled and that I am the promised Messiah and that I'm ushering in the kingdom of God and I'm ruling and reigning over all things and your present submission to God is now your present submission to me and you misread the signs of the times. You don't understand that. And the question is actually the same for us. Do we recognize what Jesus is up to right now? Right now in our own personal life? Right now in our core relationships? Right now in the cultural milieu? Like, God, what do you require of your people so that we may be a light and a city on a hill? That's still the calling of the church, that we may be a people that walk in rhythms of grace and truth. And the good news that we tell is actually good news and it's attractive to people. What do you require of us? How do we do this? And Jesus wants us to identify what stage we're in. Sometimes, some, some people are one-year-old Christians, even though they've been Christians for 20 years. One-year-old Christians, even though they've been Christians for 20 years. They've stayed one years old even though they've been at it a long time. And part of the reason is because potentially they failed to discern what stage of growth am I in and what is it asking of me? So maybe that's you today and no condemnation, no judgment, but maybe today, even though you've been a Christian for a long time, you're gonna start to see life and God in a new way and say, All right, what's, what is my next step? How do I go forward? Because the truth is this, interpreting what stage we are in allows us to identify what steps we need to take. Interpreting what stage we are in allows us to identify what steps we need to take. What are some things that get in the way of identifying what stage we're in? Sometimes you just need to remove the obstacles, the blinders. Remove the thing that's in the way and you can see better. So here's some obstacles to interpreting the stage we're in. First, the rut of a rigid routine. Any type A people here? Any people really like routine? I love routine. People that are close to me know that I really love routine. I like, to, I like to wake up at a certain time. I like to have my coffee first thing after I wake up. I'll eat my breakfast, which is probably the same most every day at a certain time, right? I know you look up here and you think, oh, wow, he's really spontaneous. He preaches so passionately. He's really spontaneous and easygoing. Maybe he just goes with the flow. Not me, friends. That's just not me. Do not be fooled. Like when it's bedtime, I like turn off the world. Like don't, don't nobody breathe my air. I'm going to bed. Any conversations, they can wait till tomorrow. But the rut of a rigid routine, I get, I get in this, I get, get these blinders on and often I don't even look up to look around me to see like what, what's going on in my world now. You know, I tend to lean more on the task side, on the spectrum, than the people side. And I know that's shocking to some of you, but I, I get my little tasks for the day and I, get, I, you know, I check those off as they go along. And my happiness at the end of the day is based on, did I get all my tasks done, right? All you task people are like, yeah, I feel you. All you people, people are like, man, I thought you were more of a people person. I get in that rut of a rigid routine and it, it keeps me from seeing what's going on right around me. Or maybe pining after the past pining after the past. You know, we start to realize we go along in life and our, our feet just keep going forward because life just doesn't stop. I hate to tell you this. It just doesn't slow down. And our feet keep going forward, but we start to turn over our shoulder and we look back to a certain time. And we can learn from the past, and that's good, but sometimes we get stuck 
looking back at the past. And we get this sense of nostalgia and it kind of settles in and we think, oh, wow, that was such a great stage. That was such a great time. Oh, if I could only go back there, that just seemed so easy. But we really don't see the past very clearly. And we start to pine after the past and we get stuck there. We call this Uncle Rico syndrome. You know Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite? I have not showed my kids Napoleon Dynamite, and I am confessing my failure to you as a church. It is on the list of my tasks, though. We will watch it as a family. Uncle Rico sitting on the stairs with Napoleon, pining after the past, has a football in his hand. Oh, I bet I could throw this football over the mountains over there. And then he says, yeah, fourth quarter, fourth quarter. If coach would have just put me in, we could have won state. We could have won state. And he's stuck back in the past, pining after the glory days that really probably weren't all that glorious for him. It's like Frodo in Lord of the Rings. No, I couldn't get far without a Lord of the Rings reference. I know, it's only been like one sermon, but here it comes. Frodo says to Gandalf after he gets the ring of power and realizes he has to destroy it, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. Gandalf says, so do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time given to us. You see, he's looking back to what he thought was an easier time in his life. He says, I wish I could just go backwards, but you can't do it. Life doesn't work like that. The stages keep coming. Maybe we pine after the past, or maybe we wish away the waiting. You know, we wish away the waiting. We look forward to the future so hard. We're like, oh, man, I wish this were done. I just can't wait to get there. We get a bad case of the untils. You ever had a bad case of the untils? Like, I can't wait until I'm 16. I can't wait until I graduate high school and get out of my parents' house. I can't wait until I get done with college and finally start my career. I can't wait until I meet that significant other. I can't wait until we have babies. I can't wait until we're out of the diaper stage. I can't wait until my kids go off to college and we're empty nesters. I can't wait until I retire. I can't wait until. And we start to just wish our life away. And when we do that, we wish away the moments today that we will miss tomorrow. We wish away the moments today that we will miss tomorrow. There was a female chaplain and her calling was to serve uh, elderly people and she took care of them, spiritual care for them, and she did a survey with them. What stage of life, what stage of life, when you think back on your life, was the most satisfying? Which one gave you the most excitement and the most pleasure? And without a doubt, every single one of them answered the same. You know what they said? Yeah, it's not when I was building my career. It's not when I was young and single. And it's not when everything was in front of me and the world was in front of me. It's not when we were retired and we had plenty of money to travel and do everything else. You know what they said? It's when we were in the craziness of midlife and we were building family and kids and it was nuts and our schedule was nuts. They said, without a doubt, that was the most satisfying stage that we had. Friends, whatever stage you're in and whatever your status in life. Don't wish away today what you'll miss tomorrow. There are some things to pay attention to, though. We get those blinded, we get those out of the way, and maybe we pay attention to certain things to, to help us identify what stage we're in. First, the obvious. The obvious. Are you a student? Are you not a student? 
Are you a parent? Are you single? Are you later in life? Sometimes the obvious is actually overlooked. What is the obvious thing in the stage you're in? Second, the middle of the night moments. It's what I like to call the middle of the night moments. It's when you wake up like two or 3 a.m. and the voices have all kind of gone away and the distractions for the day are gone and whatever is there in your heart, that aching or longing starts to surface. It's that dream that maybe you've let it die because you never thought it was gonna come true and you didn't wanna risk it or you did and it failed and you don't wanna try it again because the failure was too painful. So you put it on the shelf or maybe it's this deep-seated fear that you wake up, you hope you get back to sleep and then you wake up and you really have a lot of distractions throughout the day to help you avoid that fear. What are those middle-of-the-night moments? Often they're great signals for us to tell us what we need to pay attention to and what stage we are in. What about recurring conversations? Recurring conversations. Ask people around you, like, hey, what's going on in my world? There was a pastor, and he was getting a lot of success. His church was exploding. Uh, he had written some books, and people were wanting him uh, you know, to come to a book tour and come have speaking engagements and come speak at this conference. And so he was leaning into that. And as he was leaning into that, him and his wife started to have these conversations. His ministry was ramping up. It was very busy, but him and his wife started to have these conversations about their teenage son. And, they, and she said this, I don't think our teenage son is doing well. I think that he needs something else during this season. I know in your head, this is a season and stage of you, you and this ministry explosion, but right now, something that we value highly is our family, and he's not doing well. And so this pastor kind of went through this season of where he described a fulcrum and a lever. And I'll show you the fulcrum principle that he came up with. This, the, a fulcrum is what you move to allow your efforts to meet your expectations, it's what you move to allow your efforts to meet your expectations. And so there was all these ministry expectations around him, and yet this recurring conversation that went on for some months between him and his wife, and it was very clear to both of them, something is not going well with our son, therefore we have got to do what? We've got to figure out what to do with the fulcrum. I can't keep, I can't keep all these expectations up and then somehow give all of my leftovers to this value that we have. It just doesn't work. And friends, I know there's a lot of studies out there and a lot of articles about like work-life work balance, throw them away. That thing, you will never get to a place where that thing is perfectly balanced and in the middle and it's all just going well and it's all figured out. We are going to be constantly asked to evaluate where our fulcrum is and is our effort meeting the expectations around us. So they had to decide, what are we gonna do? How are we going to adjust our fulcrum? This leads me to my second question for the sermon. What do you do when you discern what stage you're in? What do you do when you discern what stage you're in? Now, typically, I would like to ask a question, and then I would like to create tension and intrigue, and then I would lead you through that tension and intrigue, and then I would answer that question later on so that I could keep your attention. But right now, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the answer to the question, and then I'm gonna tell you why it's really difficult to actually do the answer that I'm giving you. Do you like that? It's a summary of the next section. What do you do when you discern what stage you're in? This, you give yourself over fully to the present. It's very simple. It's very basic. And 
most of us don't do it well. Once you identify and discern by God's grace what this season is inviting you to, you give yourself fully to it. You make a shift. You pivot and you surrender. So they decided, hey, we've moved this fulcrum. Ministry's blowing up. It's exploding. But there's this conversation that keeps happening, and we feel like we've got to lean into that season. So you know what they did? He said, all right, we're going to move the fulcrum. The fulcrum is your heart. It's your attention. It's your time. It's yourself. It's the only thing you have to give. It's yourself as a gift. And so they said, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to say no to outside speaking engagements, no to the, the, the conferences. We're going to focus just on church, ministry, and family. When I do say yes to any type of speaking engagement, I'm going to ask if my son can come, can come along with me. So anytime there's a yes, the son came along with the father and he traveled with him. They were on a plane together. They were in hotels together. They were at restaurants together. They were in the conference. So anytime it was a yes, it was only if my son can come with me because this season is inviting me to something different and I've got to move the fulcrum to lean into that season. And you know what? That stage lasted for nine months to a year. And after he had leaned into that and they'd moved the fulcrum, They'd moved the fulcrum over. Then they all realized the sun was settled. He got through that difficult stage. And then guess what? Then it was time to readjust the fulcrum. Time to move it again. This is incredibly difficult. It takes large amounts of courage and risk and vulnerability and trust and people that are closest to us may not understand what we are doing. We decided to move the fulcrum in 2020. We had, I'd come here to preach a few times and there was an opportunity to serve here. And so we moved May of 2020 as a family. Family of six, uh, we got a dog. She's not a person, but, you know, she, she's the famousest of all Myers. You know, it's Chewbacca. So six and a dog. So we decided that May to come to Lexington. It was two months after the pandemic had initially kind of struck the, shut, the shutdown, and we were slowly coming back into opening. When I came on staff, the church wasn't even open. We were still doing virtual things. Much of the world was on Zoom. So we got here, and then my wife and kids stayed at home that summer while I came into work, and I had something to do, and we slowly started to open back up. And then when they were going to go to school, they were, they were having trouble meeting friends. Then when they were going to go to school, uh, they started school late. And then when they went, they had masks and plexiglass. So if you can imagine, like, no closure from where you came from. And then when you start and you go to a school, like, this is what you get. Nice to meet you. Right, And so, so we moved the fulcrum, and we were here, and we were, we were trying to give ourselves fully present to where we were. But then about nine, ten months in, we started to just realize, whew, this has been such a strong impact on our family. This has been such a strong impact on our family. And me and my wife had some very serious conversations and some very serious prayer times. And we decided, like, hey, whatever this season is, We've got to shift the fulcrum. I don't even know how it's going to work, but we've got to shift the fulcrum. So we shifted it, and I said, we've got to go back to Missouri. We've got to get the family stabilized, and we decided to get the kids settled. So we moved back to Missouri. We shifted that fulcrum, and we moved back to Missouri, and we'd seen God stabilize the family, work in the family's life, 
and we shifted that even though it was very difficult and Mount Horeb was gracious and I was traveling back and forth and you all know that, I'm traveling back and forth and then come to the end of this year and we're, we're praying through lots of prayers and lots of conversations and we're like, hey, we think it's time to shift the fulcrum. So we gotta shift this fulcrum. We think these thieves are emerging to the top so we're shifting the fulcrum and we are very excited to announce that we will be coming back as a family to Lexington, South Carolina. And I'm grateful to you for your prayers. Many of you have prayed for us. I'm grateful to Mount Horeb and the leadership for trusting God in our own wilderness to let us kind of go and figure that out and let us move the fulcrum and then God leading us back and we're grateful and excited to be here. I wasn't sure how that was gonna land so I planted some extras in the group just like, hey, start clapping. Like, But I'm not going to say it's been easy. It's been difficult. And some people have understood and some people haven't understood at all. And you look back and you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Do we do the right thing? Do we not do the right thing? Who knows? All we know is where we are and we need to move the fulcrum and this is where we're coming and we're excited about that. Life's messy, friends. God's grace is enough, though. I took one of our daughters to, uh, I took one of our daughters to uh, see My Fair Lady. We have some season tickets at the Fabulous Fox Theater, and we went and saw My Fair Lady, and it was a wonderful time, a wonderful night, and we're driving home. And I don't know if it's just because we were like slap happy or like silly, but we started talking about nursery rhymes. I'm like, I don't understand this. Like, why are we talking about nursery rhymes? And she was intrigued, like how weird nursery rhymes are. She's like, they're so weird, Dad. And we started like reciting nursery rhymes, like Old Mother Hubbard and Little Jack Horner with the, you know, put in his thumb and pulled out a plum. Like, what are all these about? And then, and then the other one, you probably know this, like, Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jump over the... Yeah, glad you were raised by Mother Goose as well. Jack jump over the candlestick. Jack be nimble, Jack be quick, Jack jump over the candlestick. Here's why giving ourselves fully to the present is so hard, because giving ourselves to the now requires us to be spiritually nimble. Jesus was spiritually nimble. Jesus was light on his feet. There's an episode in Mark 5 where a religious leader of the synagogue comes to Jesus. Now, these guys typically oppose Jesus, but he was desperate because his daughter was sick. Desperation often leads us to Jesus, and Jesus is humble enough to completely accept that. That's a good thing. Desperation leads us to find him. He says, come on. So, Je so Jairus is his name, and he goes to Jesus. He says, my daughter's sick. My daughter's sick. you got to come to the house and heal her. And Jesus says, okay. So he begins to walk. He's present with Jairus, and he's going to Jairus' house. But there's a large crowd that gathers around him, and you know the story. There's a woman who has uh, had a bleeding issue for 12 years. She's been to every doctor, every physician. They cannot heal her. They cannot do anything for her. And she reaches out, and she touches Jesus' garment. And Jesus pauses right? Jesus is walking, and then Jesus pauses because he's nimble, and he turns to face her, and he gives her his full presence, and he heals her, and he says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go. And then Jesus is nimble, so he turns, and he goes back to Jairus' house, and he is fully present there, and he brings healing to Jairus' daughter. Jesus is light on his feet, He's able to go along, not be stuck in a rut, not be distracted, and give himself fully present to the moment, to the moment. And even when he pivots and spins, he turns and he gives himself fully present in the moment. 
And he says, I want you to dance like that, church. Let's be light on our feet. Henry Nouwen, great spiritual author, professor, said this, God is a God of the present. God's always in the moment, be that moment hard or easy, joyful or painful. God's always in the moment, be that moment hard or easy, joyful or painful. The reality is this, most of us don't like the present because of the pain factor in the present. Much of our maneuvering to get out of the present is actually a maneuver to try to escape pain or boredom. So we look backwards and we think, oh, wasn't it better, wasn't it better? And we get a little dose of the nostalgia and that kind of tides us for a little bit. Or we look forward like, oh, it's going to be great when, it's going to be great then. The reality is this, the present is a little bit unsatisfying. But that's where we are. And that's where God is. Ecclesiastes 9, 10 says this, whatever turns up, whatever's in the stage, whatever rises to the surface, whatever emerges, grab it and do it and heartily. Isn't that a great word? I challenge 10 of you to use heartily this week. Heartily. This is your last and only chance at it for there's neither work to do nor thoughts to think in the company of the dead where you're most certainly headed. Dun, dun, dun. Ecclesiastes is a dark book. You know what it says? It says whatever comes up, whatever stage you're in, put both hands on the plow, both of them, and give yourself to it. Give yourself over to it. Your resources, your time, your affection, your heart, your mind, your prayers, whatever it is, do it heartily. But keep an eye out and an ear out for when you may need to pivot and move that fulcrum and then put both hands on that plow. This is life. This is the spiritual life. This is how we stay nimble and be a community of grace for others. So I leave you with two thoughts, two things that I would like for us to do. The first is this, be aware. You could say this series is an invitation to awareness and presence. So be aware. Many spiritual authors who help us understand how people change and transform, they say awareness is nine-tenths of the battle. If you can simply know it and name it, it's nine-tenths of the battle. So watch your life for a week or two. Watch your life for a week or two. What's going on? What conversations are happening? What obvious stage are you in? Ask your community around you and be ready for courageous feedback. Hey, hey, is there anything going on in my life I need to pay attention to? Is there anything I've been neglecting? Help me. I want to live this stage well. Keep a journal by your bedside at night. When you wake up, those thoughts and those dreams or those fears, write them down. Be aware. Secondly, be present. Be present. God's not a distracted God. He is with us in every season and in every stage, and he is giving us his full force of eye contact. I see you, I know you, I love you, even if you're drowning in this stage, even if you feel like you're failing in this stage, even if you have no idea which way is up or down, I'm here with you. He's present with us. He wants us to be present as well. 
There's an ancient parable that goes like this. There was a man walking in a forest and all of a sudden a tiger jumps out and begins to chase him. So he runs, begins running from the tiger. And he realizes he's coming up to the edge of a cliff. And as he gets to the edge of a cliff, there is a strong vine. So he grabs onto the strong vine and he begins to lower himself over the side of the cliff. And the tiger stands above him, but he looks down and he sees these, uh, a great fall with sharp, craggy rocks at the bottom. And he looks up at his past, the tiger, and he looks down at his future, fall and imminent doom. And then all of a sudden, he makes eye contact with the present. And he sees that a fresh strawberry patch has grown out of the side of this cliff with red, ripe strawberries. And he plucks one and he eats it. And he says to himself, yum, yum, that strawberry was delicious. And by God's grace, when we don't fixate on our past and we don't fear our future, but we tend to the present, we may just be able to see the ripe fruit that is right in front of us and by his grace, taste its sweetness. Let's pray. Father, you're a God who is here. You're here now, and you'll be then and there. But right now, we're here, and you're here. You meet us in this stage. You meet us in this season. Some of us are mourning. We're grieving. You're here. Some of us are filled with gratitude. You're here. Some of us feel very lost and confused. You're here. Father, we fall on your mercy this morning. We ask you to speak to us, to help us, to give us discernment and wisdom, and to give us courage where we may need to move our fulcrum to say, ah, this is hard. It's going to take effort, but I've got to move it because there's something else that I need to give my attention to. Help us. Help us trust you. Father, I pray this series would just explode in our minds and in our hearts. And may it impact us and change us in such a way that we would look more and more like you. Thank you for every person here, every person joining us online. Bless us now, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.